And we're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to today's episode. This is episode 199, one less than 200. Uh, I'm your host, Josh Shelton, and my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, one more episode will be at 200. All we need to do is double the episodes with five-star reviews, yes. and we'll have a good, uh, good 2021. That's right. That's right. We just need to get to 400 five-star reviews, and we'll be... Uh, on our way, I was talking to someone yesterday who was listening to our show and said, I haven't given you guys a review yet. I'm like, let's, let's get that done. Let's get that done. That's it takes, a problem. It, it takes like three seconds to click the five-star button. It takes like a minute to type in like Ryan's the greatest and Josh is marginal. Like that's. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, well, if we hit 400, we had to bring Nate back on to do another polar plunge or something. No, that's not good to say. Carried away. <laughs> Nick can come back and do the polar plunge. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, 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 okay. okay. I'm staying dry. I don't don't want no more of that. Yeah, well, it's good to have you back uh, for your pre-Easter Monday day off. So, (laughs) Hey, um, I was thinking, actually, that uh, that you may be taking off today. Your wife told my wife that you were taking off this week. So my wife thought we didn't have a podcast this morning, and I told her, I was like, no, I I don't think that's the case. Brett Farber podcasting right here, son. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here, baby. Unless I'm in China, I'm here. So, All right, Ryan. Well, we got uh, some interesting news that came out today. I had something that was going to go on the M&A, but um, kind of a big deal. So Pioneer uh, is going to buy Double Point for $6.4 billion Permian deal. So uh, what does that say about the state of the industry in the Permian? Uh what, what what does that tell us? So that's going to be something we want to look at. We got a couple articles from uh, ones from uh, David Blackman, and the other one is from Ramston Wood. So uh, two Davids there, Ryan. I almost got tongue tied. <laughs> All yeah. right, so go ahead. Let's say so. Uh, so the, the news came out. I mean, this it's hot off the press this morning. Pioneer buying them for six point four billion. Um, Oil sitting over sixty dollars a barrel right now. People are starting to be optimistic about about what's going on in the Permian. So I, I mean, this hopefully hopefully is an indicator of more um, activity like this coming in, in the coming months. Yeah, that's kind of the question, right? Is this just kind of the the early um, ripple effect, uh, the early the, the the forerunner of a lot to come, or is it just a a one off deal? I know Blackman and uh, DRW are both kind of high on this deal. Um, Blackman talks about um, Pioneer con- kind of consolidating, and I think that's was the RW's take as well. Is the consolidation in the Midland Basin for Pioneer, and so you know it's a it's a thing that you you look at and you say, well, first off, six point four billion is a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So you know I don't I don't I'm not gonna weigh in on whether or not this was a good price point or not. I don't really know that. Um, but you know what? I, here's what I thought about. Think about the Oxy deal with. Um, with um, Anadarko, right? Mm-hmm. And so, how much was that deal for? Do you remember? Oxy Anadarko was at fifty-five billion. Let's see here, Oxy. I'm, I can't shoot, I'm shooting from the hip. Oxy, why, why, why? Oh my gosh, fifty-seven billion. Fifty-seven billion. Okay, fifty-seven billion dollars. All right. <laughs> God. 
<laughs> and that was that included the that's, that's included the ten billion dollar uh, or whatever it was, you know, Chevron go away money too, wasn't it? One billion. <laughs> it was one billion. Yeah, Chevron go away. <laughs> so mm. it's a big deal, but relatively speaking, it's not. It's not like it's not like you know these uh, these huge deals that we've seen in the past. And so, kind of the conversation has been at the time. You know, remember Icon was all mad at um, Oxy for buying and this that, and the other. Vicky Hollow, yeah. Right. So this one is kind of interesting because as we sit here right now, you know, WTS this half sixty, it's around the sixty mark. You go, well, what is going to happen in the next year and a half to two years? Because that's kind of what got Oxy, right? So if Oxy would have known that the pandemic was coming, they probably wouldn't have bought Anadarko, obviously. So what is coming around the corner? And right now it's, it's interesting because I'm not entirely sure that we can be too confident in what's going on. If you look at there's there's renewed uh, lockdowns and stuff in Europe. Um, so the price is... Uh, the the we don't I don't think we're talking about this today, but the Saudis and OPEC are, are um, putting more oil back on the market. And I think it's two million barrels by the end of July they put back on the market, so they will be increasing their production. Of course, you have the demand increase. Hopefully, that will come along with summer. And so you have all these things, and so the the all I can take this to mean is that either a Pioneer believed that this was such a good value that it didn't matter if the prices stayed low. Um, maybe um, their production's hedged and so they get it at a, a set price. Um, or that Pioneer really believes that things will pick up. You know, break even is low. I, I don't know. To me, it's it's a sign that Pioneer feels pretty strong that the next 12, 24 months, things will return back to some level of normalcy. Um, that's yep. I can read it because, you know, I'm not optimistic that we're going to get back there in 12, 24 months. Maybe we are, maybe we're not. I don't know. It just, it just feels like every time we think we're past the COVID stuff, man, you see something new come out. You're like, God, dog, like, come on. Let's get past this thing and go on. And so, um, um, that's kind of my read on it. The Pioneer must feel pretty good that prices will stay level. They're not worried about the Saudis or OPEC or OPEC Plus or whomever crushing the price again. And so, will that spur on more deals? We'll see. Yeah. So, I mean, surely they knew that they were going to get tore up on the stocks uh, today because I see here they're down $10 on the day, down 6%. Um, any sort of sort of merger or acquisition is just getting torched um, on the on the stock side, and it's been it's been doing that for two years now. So um, it, it maybe it's just a, a a slight inconvenience because they believe that it'll it'll right the ship. Um, but surely they knew this was going to happen. A lot of their a lot of the people that are investing in stocks are going to be wary of this. Um, so they they have to see some value because. Um, I mean, they knew they knew that part was coming at least. So, uh, yeah, if they believe in the deal, right, the stock gets hammered. They just buy the stock at the lower price. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the thing. You know, you know pull an icon. You know, end up on the, on the chair seat. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, so we'll, David Blackman. I mean, what, what do you think his take is on on the the Pioneer deal? I mean, does he think it's a yeah uh, think, a good so. deal? Yeah, and it's you know it's a consolidation of the Midland Basin, and so you know kind of makes them the big dog in that part of the Permian, and so you know you have this this you know pioneer who's kind of created themselves um, a more expansive play in that part of the Permian. And so we'll, we'll see. It's, it, it, I think where I'm at, just kind of looking at these things right now, is it's kind of hard to you know going back to 2019, going to 2020. I know me and you both felt like prices were going to be pretty decent. 
Um, and then everything was in kind of smooth sailing relatively from that there on because the companies that were in trouble would kind of would, would be able to survive and move forward, right? Mm-hmm. It happened. And so now it's we're kind of back to where we were in like 2016, trying to figure out who's doing what and you know, who can survive and where are they going? And, you know, and so it's for me, it's a little bit early to be overly optimistic. And, I, and the reason I say this has nothing to do with oil and gas companies. It has to do with how the rest of the economy is working. And you look at some of these, um, you look at the real estate market, you look at, you know, tech stocks, you look at all these things. And it's like, man. Um, so I'll give you an example. The CDC extended the moratorium on evictions until the end of June for renters, right? Mm-hmm. Now, according to the survey, 20% of all Americans, or 20% of people surveyed, brother, that are paying rent are behind. The 20% of renters are behind, right? So how, now, I don't know how many landlords that is because it could be you know, more or less depending on what's going on. Um, CNBC put an article that that was part of Biden's effort to stamp out the coronavirus. The extension of the moratorium on uh, rental evictions. Okay, well, that has nothing, one thing has nothing to do with the other, right? What's happening there is, is that the Biden administration realizes that the economy is not that strong. And if you lifted it, if you lifted it, all these people would start getting evicted. And that wouldn't look good. Then you start seeing the cracks in the economy. So when you look at something like that, that's just one data point. There's obviously a lot. Um, you look at something like that, it's like, okay, well, what is really going on here in this economy? How how strong is it? How close to rebounding is it? You know, I don't know. So I'm, I'm still, still a little gun on what's going to happen. And oh, by the way, if demand does pick up, what will OPEC do? So um, so obviously, I know Blackman and DRW are, are very high on this deal. Maybe it works out good. I'm just a little bit more hesitant to say that anything's good right now because we can't get out of the woods, it seems like. So uh, just for some for perspective, Pioneer actually bought um, Parsley Energy for eight billion about six months ago in, in October last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and based on what it's showing here is, is like you said, is uh, consolidation. They're getting a uh, huge uh, interrupt in, uninterrupted spaces where uh, their their possibilities uh, for scale are much higher. Um, so based on what uh, Ramson Wood said is that the, the folks that are going to be successful in the Permian are people that can uh, get more acreage and do more at scale so that they can take those small savings of, of being able to do such large uh, projects and use that to create better margins. So uh, and that, that's kind of what uh, Blackman is saying here as well. So from the perspective that if you're going to do the Permian, the little guys aren't going to be able to make it anymore. Essentially it's, 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 and I'm not saying that as a fact, I'm saying that's what seems to be indicated here that transitioning to um, more scalable, bigger um, acreage projects is going to be the the way forward in the Permian. And the other guys are just going to have a hard time keeping up. Um, and, Here's something that I haven't seen anybody address, Josh, is that, um, Let's go back to last year. Sheffield was one of the ones, the Pioneer CEO. He was one of the ones kind of pounding the drum for the Texas Rebel Commission to step in. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And, and so is Pioneer consolidating, obviously, for a um, for some of the reasons that you mentioned, but also how much of their growth is incentivized to push for regulation that then ultimately helps them as well? Like I don't think you can look at them as a free market 
um, a truly free market company anymore because they were really pounding the Texas Railroad Commission for, um, oh gosh, rationing or what, pro, 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 uh, what was the word I'm looking at here? Um, you know, making people cut. And ultimately, they didn't even cut, just to be clear. If I'm going to double check me, but I'm pretty sure they, did, they didn't even cut, even though they were pounding the TRCC to cut, to, to make it mandatory. So I think that we have to remember Sheffield's history is on some level to push for regulation. Um, even that regulation is it something that actually he ultimately wants to deal with. So is it, are they consolidating to be able to be, a, obviously not going to Chevron or Exxon, but kind of move up that ladder and then call for regulation, regulation that they can um, benefit from and cut out some of the smaller players. And I think they did the same thing with flaring, right? Weren't they the ones that were, it was a pioneer who was doing with flaring where they were like, yeah, you know, if you're not flaring, then if you're flaring, then you shouldn't be in business. Uh, uh, shareholders should leave you. Wasn't that them? I think so. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I think that has to be kind of in the back of our mind here is that maybe these aren't, um, maybe, maybe there's money involved, but maybe it's also, you know, uh, the ability to throw their weight around a little bit more. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, their stock price has, has been going up. I mean, uh, based on what, uh, what I'm seeing is it's, it's, went up tremendously since last year. Uh, they've continued to to rise. I mean, they're up, I think, 155 right now. Um, last I checked. So Everybody's with Oxys. I bought Oxy and it went down. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. I bought theirs. I was like, yeah, okay, Oxy's back. And it went down. I was like, oh. <laughs> so, um, so, Ryan, I think there's uh, – well, we've been talking about the power outage uh, that happened here recently. And we had the guy on to kind of talk about it. But um, right now there's people that are defending the oil and gas industry and there's some people that are blaming it. Um, this article is out on April 5th. And um, and right now, a lot of people on the TRC, the Texas Railroad Commission, are blaming renewable energy power for the outages. I don't know if that's quite fair um, to, to blame the renewables. Uh, but I, I also I think they're, they're trying to point point the blame anywhere but at themselves. I mean, there were, there were things that could have been done even by the TRC that, um, I don't know. I, I, I wonder, I'm sure there's some shared responsibility between a lot of the groups, but, um, certainly you can't go out and just blame the renewable energy. It's gotta be the legislators that push for that agenda possibly, or, um, some, something along that vein to, to capture more of the people that were behind that energy push. It's not the renewables themselves that were the, were the problem. You're right, because renewables in some parts of the world, you know, work during very cold, cold weather. Right. Yeah, and this this goes back to I keep pointing this out, and no one really takes me up on it. But when the power company is not responsible to you, the consumer, this is what you're going to get. You're going to get the this group saying this, and that group saying that, and these groups saying this. And they're all just kind of fighting each other, and then at the end of the day, you're like, well, well, who, wait, hold on, what? And I can't remember and. How does this work? Because no one is actually responsible. If the legislator isn't responsible to me and you, we know that. That's obvious because they ignore us. Um, the power companies aren't responsible to us. And all these other groups aren't responsible. No one is responsible to the average American or average Texan in this case, um, average citizen. And so all you get is this a bunch of he said, she said, and you got to spend hours kind of reading through different sources and trying to figure out, well, why wasn't it winterized? Oh, because of this policy here and well, then you got to think, well, okay, if that wasn't the case, then what are some other options? And so you just get to the point like, screw this, man. You know, you, you kind of drive your stake in the ground and you go on about your business. Um, and then you're like, well, 
who's going to fix this? Well, at the end of the day, no one's going to fix it because no one's responsible. Like no one is responsible. And that's what I've been saying from day one. What is the, what should the liability be here? And there is no liability. And so we're never going to solve. Um, we either will be, we, we will do something that's either more akin to what other states do. And maybe we'll make more regulated. Okay. That's, that's an option. Um, maybe we'll, we won't regulate and then they won't rent to rise. I, you know, at the end of the day, unless you're responsible to your customer, unless you're responsible to your customer, you serve the wrong master. And that's that is this business 101. That's just business 101. The reason that the government programs by and large suck is because they're not responsible to their customer. They're just not. Josh, when we're in business, we're responsible to our customer. So if we don't do a good job, what happens? They fire us. Yep. These organizations, these 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 legislators, these groups, they're not responsible to the customer, and so or the consumer, whatever you want to say. And so, because of that, um, you know, we're sitting here going, "Well, how are we going to fix these problems?" Well, these these yahoos aren't going to do it. No, they're not. I'm just going to point, blame, move on. Yeah, right. And so, um, and so you're sitting there like, "Well." What is it exactly that you guys? What are you going to do? How are you going to fix this moving forward? Um, you know, and and so what, what's nothing? They're just going to talk about it. They're going to roll some policy, and then guess what? The next time something bad happens, you know, they're going to say is, "Well, we had this policy, or we didn't know about this." And you know, I saw. I think it was Blackman. He he pointed out that there's some form they could have filled out that could have fixed all this, and it's like, guys, I mean. <laughs> No one's accountable, and they never will be. That is the way the system is designed. It's designed so that the politicians are not accountable. And when they think they are, guess what? They start, you know, making promises and all kinds of stuff. So I just I sit here and go, um, you know, it's 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 not even worth following because it's just it's just, it's just wasted your time, right? I mean, nope. talk about it. We can kind of say this, that, and the other, but until they're responsible to the people they serve. There will always be problems. And if you doubt me, just go to the DMV and tell me how it works out for you. Yeah. Go to the post office. You know, go, go to somewhere where they don't consider. Go to the post office and go to FedEx. Like, it's just not the same. Not the same. Yeah, much different. Speed, service. Yeah, it's just a whole different, whole different ballgame. Indeed. That's our guess here. Not yet. All right, so uh, another uh, deal that I want to talk a little bit about was Inveris acquires Denver-based renewable power data firm. So they're going to integrate uh, Denver-based Energy Acuity, which has tracked and cataloged thousands of renewable projects. Uh, so Inveris has been, or Inveris has been collecting a lot of data over the last 10 years, especially since 2016, uh, lots of acquisitions. So moving into this renewable uh, space, I think uh, signals that they're aware that um, this might be a necessary thing for them to do in order to, um, I don't know, I don't want to say remain relevant, but um, the, the oil industry may not be getting the best press. And so this helps a company like this to, to enter into a space where there may be more government money flying around, um, 
especially with all the printing and what's going on now. So I, I think I think this was a, a wise move on their part. And I think I think it'll be something that uh, they'll continue to pursue here into the future. So you, you like this, huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think that it's only good because of uh, of the government incentives that's going to make it good. Um, but but I, I do think I do think if I'm in Varus, I'm doing it. I would do it. Yeah, I, I wonder. I mean, I think you, you know, the the change in the name from Drilling Info, I don't really care about one way or another. That was done. But you do have to wonder, it's like the ESG stuff, right? So it's here, something we have to deal with. Um, you have to wonder what their motivations are now. Are they here to serve an oil and gas industry? Or are they here to try to placate both sides of the aisle? Um, and I, I'm not saying a business can't do that. I'm just... I just wonder what their what their strategy is, and will we be talking, you know, a year or two from now and going, well, yeah, man, remember when Inveris was an oil and gas kind of kind of group, and now they're now they're kind of anti oil and gas, or I'm not saying they go that far. Obviously, I'm just you just you look at this and go, Ugh, I wonder how far, I wonder where this is going. I, I, it's, it's a little concerning. I've heard, I, I have heard from people that are frustrated that are landman with their landman portion of their software. They say that they feel like they've kind of abandoned that now i don't use their software personally so i don't know this is just hearsay so take it for what's worth it might be the best stuff in the world i, I have no idea um and I, I don't i'm not mad anybody for making a buck we're capitalists here so um maybe there's more money in what they're doing now and i, and I would suspect that's the case um but you know I think it's just something to follow, more or less. Yeah. Hopefully, listen, uh, Drilling Info was a great partner to the industry for years, and hopefully that will be the case. And hopefully they will um, continue to serve the industry in a good way. Um, but uh, it, we're in a tough spot, Josh, because you know how do you deal with environmental responsibility and um, and in a way that's that's the right way to handle it, which we've argued for some time is by taking care of the, the landowners, right? Like that's yeah. the... That's the primary way you, you you start there. If you do buy right by them, you can fix a lot of problems. You know the climate change stuff and the flaring and stuff like that. You know that's there's there's a problem there that you have to deal with. And so, you know, how, how do you how do you walk those things? And they hit the ESG. So I, I don't know how these companies navigate these street uh, navigate these these paths. Um, but it would seem like if you're a data analyst company, and listen, we can have on some from Inveris to talk about this if, if they want. If you're, an, if you're a data analytics company and you're trying to find ESG companies, you're going to push investors towards some companies over others, whether the returns are as good or not, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, you might have company, you might have Shelton Oil and Gas, which is really profitable, and Ray Oil and Gas, which has all this ESG stuff, and you're not telling your investors about Shelton because you're trying to push this narrative. And so... um you know, ultimately, you, you you might have less efficient companies or less profitable companies because of that. And so, is that good for the industry? Because if I'm less profitable, I, you know, I'm be quicker to pull the ripcord. So who who knows? I, I don't I don't know. I don't, so I'm not trying to trash them. I don't know. Always be nice to us. I just you see this, you go. Oh, I don't know where where are we heading. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say is you know from a lot of the oil and gas folks moving from drilling info to Inveris was a, was a dumb move. It seems dumb. But if they're trying to open up to not just be limited to oil and gas, but opening up to a wider energy industry, um, Inveris certainly makes a lot more sense. 
um, if you're trying to open Absolutely. up those spaces. Yeah. Absolutely. Like if we wanted to start talking about renewables on this podcast, we wouldn't be the Texas Gas podcast. Right. Yeah. We would have to, we'd have to. Texas Energy podcast. Yeah. You'd have to pivot. So right. I think, I think part of what they were doing was pivoting because they saw one, the ESG issue, it opens them up where they can get, they can have better reception, you know, from a stock standpoint or going, you know, public, um, just depending on what their strategy is, what they want to do. The, the name change certainly helped um, open up those opportunities. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm wondering too, how, how they're going to, how they're going to position themselves in relation to the oil and gas industry. You know, I, I'm, I'm curious and, and I don't want to assume anything too soon. I think right now they see opportunities in renewables, which if I'm them, I take the opportunity sure. and I try to maximize it. Uh, if there's an opportunity in oil and gas, that comes up. I think they're going to take it then. I think uh, in any in any way where they can capitalize with better data than what's being provided by other sectors, take it. I mean, yeah. it makes sense. Let, let, maybe we should say it like this. We are on this show energy agnostic, right? Yep. Whatever works best at the best price, you know, whatever works is what we're for. Which And, and we're willing to defend oil and gas because we believe that that is the best in you know a lot of cases or whatever. Um, I think the question that we're posing at the core of it is, Will and Varys have that same stomach? Yeah. Will they be ones to stand up ultimately and say, no, 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 no. We really believe in the utility. Because as you go into these other industries, you know, it's it's not popular to say that oil and gas is essential for life. It's not. And so will they have the backbone to continue saying that? And I hope they do. They've they've been a great partner to the industry for many, many, many years, long before I was in the industry. And so um, uh, I hope that that's where they're going. Um, and, and maybe they can be a bridge company to the renewables, uh, to the ESG crowd um, while doing a good service. Um, but it wouldn't be the first group we see go by the wayside. So we shall see. Mm. All right. One more for the Texas Roundup, Ryan. Canada's white cap resources to buy kicking horse oil and gas for $300 million. Uh, This isn't the big billion dollar deals, but still something to take note of. Uh, so Canada's white cap, obviously they see, uh, opportunities in the industry that, um, may, may provide an opportunity. So, uh, still uh, some optimism in the nature of the industry. All right, Joshua. Well, our guest was a no show today, so that's how it goes sometimes. So we'll wrap it up there. Um, episode 200 next week. Wow, that's crazy. It's crazy. So we are on spring break this week at the Ray house. So that will be fun. Uh, looking forward to that and to everyone. Have a lovely week. Leave us a five-star review, even if you don't like Josh. It's okay. And to next time, keep climbing. <laughs>